There is not a one-size-fits-all solution to leadership. Discover your inspiration to lead by hearing from those who are in the trenches each day, leading themselves and leading others. We will learn about their unique leadership style and identify the shared qualities between those who do it tremendously well. Welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, season three, episode two of the Lead with Empower podcast. Very excited to introduce our guest on this week's episode. We have uh, Mr. Ken Martin. Ken is one of the co-owners of Colony Grill Development. Uh, they have six restaurant locations, and we're going to learn a little bit more about that uh, during our conversation. Uh, but Ken is one of four owners. He is also, and I think this is the first time in his career, serving as an adjunct professor at the University of New Haven in their hospitality and tourism management uh, department or major. And he'll be working alongside our old friend, Dr. Jan Jones here, who introduced Ken and I. So Ken, my friend, welcome to the Lead with Empower podcast. How the heck are you today on this blustery, cold, winter New England day? Yeah, Dan, it's great to be here. It's frigid out, um, but I'm really uh, happy to have the opportunity to speak with you today. And, and thanks so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. And thanks for uh, to you for taking time out of your schedule to uh, to jump on with us to here today. So, um, Ken, the podcast is all about, you know, leadership and really our 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 goal is to uh, connect with as many different types of leaders in school, in sport, in community, in biz- in the business world, with hopes that you know each person's unique story kind of catches the ear of a listener or of maybe some you know multiple listeners, with hopes that hey my story sounds a little bit like Ken's, you know, and, and maybe I don't give myself enough credit for the leader that I can be. So um, that's our hope here. And I'm really excited to hear not only about uh, learn more about Colony Grill, but learn about your journey from, you know, kind of high school student athlete all the way to uh, the, the co-owner of a, of a successful business. So thank you again. And we're going to get right into it. So start with some basic information. Tell us a little bit about Colony Grill. You have some locations here in Connecticut and Virginia, What's Colony Grill all about? And uh, and uh, give us a little insight into it. Yeah, thanks, Dan. So Colony Grill um, is a brand that dates back to 1935 in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, really an Irish neighborhood there. Um, and over the years, um, what really happened was uh, people would come back from the war and people were immigrating into the country. And this little Irish place in Stamford all of a sudden started experimenting with what we now call bar style pizzas in, um, in their little kitchen down there in Stanford. And, um, you know, sort of after a number of happy accidents, this, this thin crust, uh, sort of just slightly bigger than personal size pizza uh, was born easy to manage light sauce, light cheese. You can hold a drink in one hand and, and manage the, the crust in the other piece of pizza in the other hand. And, um, it, it became, uh, really the, the calling card of, of colony grill which the name, you know, a little counterintuitive, you know, uh, it was originally serving pizzas, steaks, salads, that kind of thing. But over the years, um, all the, all the other menu items sort of faded away. And, uh, and, and, you know, as the decades went on, Colony Grill only offers pizza and drinks. And that's what we do today. We, uh, we, we think we have a really unique style pizza. We, uh, we keep the beers cold 
and uh, that's, that's a key part of the we, operation. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we just, yeah, and we just try to be a, a good community partner in each lo, uh, each community that we're in. And we we have six locations, as you mentioned: the original in Stanford, um, Norwalk, Connecticut, uh, Fairfield, Milford, and um, and we also have uh, a location in um, in Arlington, Virginia, which was just recently opened. Uh, uh, this past fall, and, and as well as a, a location in, in Portchester, New York, which uh, we opened about two years ago. So we have about 240 employees, you know, part-time and full-time. We have a leadership team of about 35 to 40 people um, that work not only in our sort of corporate support offices, but, you know, at the restaurant level. And, uh, you know, we, we started with, you um, couple of people and, and it's, it's been very encouraging to see in 10 years where where it has led and uh, you know as you mentioned it's been a certainly an interesting and trying past year with the pandemic we never we never anticipated that in our our early business plans no <laughs> uh, a pandemic so that was completely unique and and, and um, you know stressful and 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 painful in a lot of ways but yeah. in other ways um, it's really allowed us to to grow in a lot uh, in many in many ways as well. So um, I'd love to get into it, into that with you. And, and uh, you mentioned you know the professorship at, at UNH, which is a brand new experience for me. I mean, I um, I have five kids, and my, my wife and kids are now you know jokingly calling me the professor when I walk into. <laughs> it's very funny that uh, I'm teaching. Uh, but the kids are great at UNH, and and you mentioned Jan Jones, Dr. Jones. She's uh, given me the opportunity to get out of my comfort zone a little bit. So I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful to her, but um, yeah. So, uh, you know, colonies were doing well, all things considered. And uh, uh, you know, it affords me the opportunity uh, over the years and certainly today to, to, to meet and, and talk to other community leaders like yourself. And uh, you know, I, I couldn't be happier to be doing it. Nice. Awesome. Now, before I get into the serious question, I need you to help me settle a debate here. So my, my wife is, uh, she's a doctoral a doctor in chemistry. She teaches high school now, um, got out of the research type of stuff. And she, like, we both like pizza and we'll go to a place. And um, as a scientist, she, she wants to go for like the baseline, like get the plain cheese, right? If the plain cheese is good, then you branch out. And I'm kind of the other one. I like to tinker and play. And I'm like, hey, what's the most like exotic pizza on the menu? Or what's the pizza like that your your signature pie, you know? And so we butt heads a little bit if we go to a, you know, a new pizza joint, uh, you know, the, you know, for the for the taste research, she feels it's the plain cheese is the way to go. And I'm like, what's special? What's on the menu? What's the one that and I can't get anywhere else? So where do you fall? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cause this, I don't know if this is going to get me in trouble or, or whatever, but where do you fall on the, in that decision right there, Ken? Yeah, I'm probably never going to be a PhD. So I, <laughs> I, I think I fall more, more towards your, uh, your thought process, Dan, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that you get the, you get what the uh, specialty of a place is and you ask, uh, you know, you go and you ask the server, the bartender, what, you know, what's your, what's your uh, calling card. So for us, for example, we have a hot oil pizza that uh, we sort of created and uh, has become very popular, sort of a spicy infused olive oil that um, gives the pizza, pizza a ton of flavor and a little bit of, you know, kick uh, in terms of heat. And, uh, you know, if, if you were coming in, I would suggest, uh, you know, maybe a hot oil sausage or a hot oil pepperoni. 
Um, not to say our cheese pizza isn't, isn't but um, yeah, I'm probably more on the uh, adventurous side and, and let's go with what the, what the pros at the place, uh, you know, tell you to do. All right. I like it. I won't tell my wife you said that, or I said that. So we're, we're good. We'll be, we'll be safe. But good, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. And then you, you answered my next question. I was going to throw at you. What's the, if you had a recommendation for someone visiting for the first time. So we got the hot oil pie, either pepperoni or salt. You're speaking my language right now. The, the, uh, as Guy Fieri says, the flavored jets are starting to, to kick <laughs> off right now. So, um, prior to the pandemic, right. Anytime you're in leadership and you're managing, uh, uh, a pretty good sized group of employees and, you know, different locations, I, there's, there's going to be challenges that you face. What were some of the, again, prior to March of 2020 or, or, or February of 2020, some of the common leadership challenges that maybe you and the leadership team faced and just to share some insight as well as to some of the strategies you and your leadership team tried to implement to, to overcome those leadership challenges, uh, that you'd face in the restaurant management industry? Yeah, that's a good, really good question. I mean, I think for us, um, you know, the restaurant business is unique uh, in that, you know, a lot of businesses are nine to five, Monday through Friday. Um, you know, you can, if you want to have an offsite or a particular meeting, maybe you do it a little earlier in the morning or you do it, you know, just at the close of business and it, you can get, get everybody in a room. Um, you know, for us, our, our, our restaurants are essentially open seven days a week um, all year. And you have people that are working, arriving to work sometimes at eight o'clock in the morning and others who are leaving work at, you know, sometimes one, 2 a.m. In, in the evening. So to, to get everybody in a room is not always the easiest thing. <laughs> so I, I think communication, particularly in the, in the restaurant industry, uh, was a challenge for us in terms of how do we meet, how do we, how do we make sure that, um, what we're trying to send out in terms of our marching orders, what we want to do uh, at each restaurant are really kind of flowing down to the, to the troops. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a challenge. I think it's always been a challenge. Uh, and I think it was particularly a challenge before uh, the, the pandemic. Um, so, you know, just trying to make your, your organization walk all to the same drumbeat. Um, even, even people who are doing it really well, I think still struggle with it at times. Yeah. And then certainly there's people that are just not doing it well at all. And I think that manifests in, in what the, your guests or, or your, um, or the consumer is seeing. Um, so communication is, is obviously a big one. Um, you know, you know, I would, I would say, um, yeah, certainly communication. Um, you know, and I think, <clears throat> I don't know if you want to get there yet, but that, you know, that's, I would say that was, immediately one of the things that kind of switched actually for the good during the pandemic. Um, but, um, you know, maybe we can get into that, you know, later. Yeah, no, and that's, I think that's a good segue. I think before we dive into the pandemic, like knowing that communication, obviously it, it, in any industry and in, in leadership, whether it's at the, the high school student council level or, or in, in the, the corporate world, communication is usually one of those things that, um, is a constant challenge and it's something that people strive to do better at and better at what not necessarily getting into like specifics of your operation, but what were some of the strategies that, um, you know, knowing, identifying that communication can be a challenge. What were some of the strategies that you and the team 
uh, the leadership team in particular tried to implement to, I guess, bridge the gap, right? If, if yeah. communication, if you want it to be here and it's kind of here, what can you do to bridge the gap a little bit? We tried to, uh, you know, as I said, we, we've been involved with, my partners and I have been involved with Colony Growth for about 11 years and our communication communication strategy from for, within leadership, um, you know, has probably shifted a little bit over the years just based yeah. on the number of employees. But I think one thing we started doing was, um, uh, requiring our, our restaurant level teams to meet once a week. Um, so we have a general manager and assistant general manager and typically two other managers at each location. So we were requiring them to meet once a week. It sounds very basic, but that wasn't happening early on. Yeah. And, uh, as we started to implement that and, and, and do it, uh, religiously, we, we saw, um, you know, we, we just saw improvements with the way our, our teams were interacting, the way they were interacting with with their team members, and uh, the flow of information was just getting better. We have a we have a monthly ma uh, general manager meeting um, where they all come to our uh, headquarters. We've done a little differently during the pandemic, but yeah, um, they they come present their numbers for the for the month, talk about what went well, talk about what didn't go well, things that need to stop doing things we need to keep doing and things we need to start doing. <laughs> and um, that's kind of a, a typical start to our general man manager meeting, which is once, once a month. Um, we, we do a, uh, an annual offsite uh, day and a half meeting for all our leaders uh, where we actually close all our restaurants for essentially one day, one full day. And um, we bring everybody offsite to do some team building and some leadership development. And, uh, and then we have a, in a, in a normal year, we have a party for the entire uh, restaurant, yeah. um, which is sort of a, a fun way to end the year and, and to get everybody you know together in the same room. Um, and also, uh, we do uh, biannual reviews for every single employee in the company, from the from the from the busboy who just started you know a week ago to the to all the way up to the top. So that helps, I think, in terms of communication. Um, it just it helps to get everybody aligned or realigned in some cases yeah. and, and just to keep everybody focused on our mission and, uh, and marching in the, in, in the same direction. So, um, yeah, so I think just those are, you know, fairly basic and simple things, but um, you know, they needed to be implemented and they need to be done with some discipline because, you know, doing them during, during the weekly meeting every other month or doing the monthly meeting, you know, quarterly doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what we found. And it's, it, I think that's a great, it's a great lesson regardless of, uh, of industry and where a leader is in their journey. It's, it's, you know, if you want to see some sort of improvement, you have to set, you know, set some sort of plan and some sort of operational plan and then, and then commit to it. And, you know, eliminate the excuses and the, the, the outs, right. Oh, we, we're too busy to meet this week. Let's, let's push it back and uh, you know, set the plan, set the course of action and make a commitment to it. And, and, and you, you touched on it already, the, the communication of the mission and how we're delivering the mission and yeah. um, you know, what we're doing. And I, I love that you even, you threw in one of our debriefing models, what, you know, keep, stop, start, you know, keep what's working, stop what ain't working and start, you know, something that'll improve it. So um, great. You know, I think it's a great point right there. And it's a great segue to the unexpected uppercut to the jaw that everybody um, faced <laughs> uh, a little, little, uh, little less than a year ago. Um, COVID hits, obviously it's had an impact on all industries and, and all people. How, how did, 
you know, I guess what new challenges um, were, were you and your team facing? And again, same type of question. What were some of the strategies that you tried to implement to, to minimize the damage caused by those challenges? Yeah. And an amazing year in so many ways, uh, you know, many, many, many negative and, and certainly a number of positive ways. Um, you know, there was so much, um, sort of hysteria and misinformation back in March of 2020 yep. that I think one of the jobs of, of our leadership team and certainly myself and my partners was to, um, to be present, certainly out in front and for us to decipher what was the most important information to be disseminating um, because you were getting pushed and pulled in a lot of directions. And, and you know, we very early on said, you know, what, what do we want our restaurant to be during this? You know, how do we want to treat our people? Can we survive financially if we do things a certain way? And, uh, you know, and, and the government, uh, you know, became involved really for the first time in my professional career in terms of when you can stay open, when you can't, what you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis, which was jarring. Um, you, you know, that's not... You know, that's not really a political statement. Uh, that's just a, a general statement. It's just something that we had never seen before. And it was yep. really, we had never worked harder for less dollars coming in. And we, <laughs> we had never, <laughs> we had never been, I think, more present and, and fully attuned to, to the task at hand. So we immediately had a, uh, we immediately, uh, we had just purchased a, coincidentally enough, we just uh, purchased a Microsoft uh, team suite about two months before uh, the pandemic hit and we were easing into it. And then overnight we started using those tools, uh, you know, incredibly often. And so every morning we had a, um, a leadership, a corporate leadership meeting, 8 a.m. And then we also had a, a second meeting each day at, at 4 p.m. just to keep up with the regulations that were coming out to the news that was slowly creeping out. I mean, I remember back in January, somebody saying to me, oh, you know, there's this, there's this strain of virus in, 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 you know, outside of our country that could be a problem. And I, covered, I sort of shrugged it off. Yeah. And then come, you know, late February, March, it's, it's like, hey, our business may be affected here. And um, we, basically, uh, we basically hunkered down and decided, you know, we're going to meet twice a day. We're going to be totally attuned to our, our employees. And then, um, and, and we decided that uh, um, we were going to, uh, we, we did some financial mapping yep. and we basically did some modeling saying, Hey, where can we, where can we be in six months from now if we're down 25%, 50%, 75% in sales. And, um, and we, we mapped it out and, and thought that we can, we could do it without firing anybody, laying off anybody or cutting any benefits, which is ultimately what we ended up doing for the entire year. Of wow. 2020. So we were very proud of that and, and happy that we could do that. It's a hell of an accomplishment. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, pizza, oh, you're welcome. Probably less affected than, than other segments within the restaurant industry. And also, you know, we had a takeout component of our business heading into the pandemic, which only really strengthened during the pandemic. So in some ways we we're fortunate to be in, in just the segment we're in, but you know, just my general comment or, or observation about the pandemic is for any business, not just restaurants, is that you either you either kind of succumb under the weight of the pandemic and all the sort of uh, inertia of government <laughs> mandates and, and media hysteria, 
or you decided to kind of have some hyper focus and 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 stick true to what what got you there. And and for us, it it, it seemed to work. Um, and uh, you know, you can either choose to be lazy or you can choose to be engaged. And I'm not. I don't mean that in a, a detrimental way to other businesses because everybody has their own circumstances. But COVID COVID definitely allowed people to to make some excuses for themselves. Yep. Um, and I think we were just going to, from day one, we weren't going to allow that to creep in. That's great. And again, I think another, another valuable lesson, and this is something that's been a recurring theme since we started the podcast is, you know, Hey, there's this challenge in front of you and you have an option to look at it, turn around and either, you know, walk or run away or, you know, hunker in and, and, and dial in the focus and, and be creative and problem solve and try to find a way through over under around. And uh, it's glad to hear that you all did that. And um, you were able to take care of your team members while doing so and, and, and get through the year and, and hopefully get into a spot in 2021 where it's, uh, you know, a recovery and it's getting away from, you know, 25 or 50% of revenue and getting back towards where you were prior to this thing. And uh, glad to hear you guys were able to do that. Um, you know, one of the things we talk about in leadership is, is trying to find the silver lining, right? So, hey, the, everybody at some point in their life has dealt a, a, a crummy situation and, you know, that crummy situation, whether it's getting cut from a team or getting shot down when you ask somebody out on a date or, you know, fought, you know, not getting the job that you want, whatever it might be, can be a springboard to your own development. What do you hope Colony Grill as a whole is able to take away from the challenges of 2020 that might help you be a better uh, set of restaurants, you know, 10 years down the road. Yeah, we, I mean, we, we feel like we are absolutely um, 100% stronger restaurant coming out of the pandemic than when we went into it. Now, we didn't have our best financial year, yeah. but we are absolutely aligned as a leadership group. Um, we are... Uh, uh, we, we're going to have opportunities coming out of that because of the way we managed our finances and our people going into it. Um, so, you know, we, we think we've actually been energized by uh, the past nearly 12 months. And I think we, we want to harness that energy and let our people know that, um, you know, the end isn't now. We, we, are, we are stronger. We are more agile. Um, we are, we are in a better position than we were 12 months ago to, to grow as a restaurant and to grow as individuals, um, which is, we just got done with those, one, that winter review of everybody. And, um, you know, our, our message was really um, energizing in a lot of ways, um, which is a bit, you know, a bit odd considering the, the, the context we're in, but yeah, um, we think this is gonna be one of our, our best years or at least second, third, fourth quarter, um, could be in, in many ways like the Roaring Ponies for the yeah. restaurant industry, uh, for people who are, are ready to kind of take it on. Um, just, a, I mean, a couple other notes. I mean, I think uh, during the, the pandemic, simplicity of message is very important, um, especially to the consumer, you know, certainly to our, to our own people. But um, th there were so many, you know, businesses and emails and, and um, you know, commercials on that were kind of convoluted and you know, why is the bank, why is my bank talking to me about my health? Um, <laughs> and, and, and why is every CEO sending out a thousand words in an email that nobody's going to read? Yeah. So I think it showed us that we need to be super simple. Uh, hey, we're here, we're reliable, we're clean and we're open, you know? So um, 
and we just tried to do that with our employees too. We didn't, we didn't send them, you know, a thousand words every day. We, we, we basically, we basically probably had uh, three or four company-wide missives that we sent out during the past 12 months. But, uh, but really other than that, it was just meeting every day with our management team and, and, and macro uh, managing, you know, each week, each, 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 uh, each day, each week, each month. So that was important. And, um, you know, and I think the other point is that you really, the business that you really were in the pandemic was probably just um, a, a more, um, you know, a more focused version of what you had been for the previous years. Yeah. So, you know, we felt like we were a great company going into it. Um, we feel like we're an even greater company coming out of it. So, um, you know, I, I think that's a testament to all our people and the way we handled it. But um, I think your fundamentals are your fundamentals. And I think that the, the businesses that weren't being run well in 2018, 19 were the ones that got hurt the most in 2020. Yeah. Um, just no, you know, my unscientific observation. But <laughs> no, it makes, makes plenty of yeah. sense. Um, We've talked about, you know, the, the, you know, the management and the leadership side. And, you know, you mentioned you have about 240 employees across the different restaurants. Um, not, again, not getting specific to like responsibilities in the restaurant, you know, for a, a server or a cook or whatever it might be, but just what are some of the quote unquote soft skills that you'll look for in like, Hey, when we're going through the hiring process um, at, at one of our restaurants, these are some of the characteristics or traits that really don't have anything to do technically with the restaurant industry that we're looking for, for our employees. Yeah, Dan, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, we do not look for uh, restaurant restaurant experience is not one of our key criteria to hire for our, for our restaurant business. Um, you mentioned soft skills, um, you know, sort of those interpersonal skills, empathy towards the guest, being able to read body language of a customer, um, you know, eye contact, smiling, um, you know, sort of, is this person, you know, enjoyable to sit across the table with in an interview setting because they're charming or funny or um, engaging in some way? Um, you know, I think uh, Danny Meyer, who is a, um, he was the creator of Shake Shack and, and owns a number of famous restaurants in New York City. Um, he says that it's the 51% he hires. Yeah. Uh, there's 51% of the population that just has this innate ability to want to make people feel good. Yeah. Um, and that's, we're very much aligned to that. We, you know, uh, if you're going to somebody's house and this person was going to host you, you know, would they do a good job? Would they be gracious? Would they be, um, would they extend themselves? And that's just really what we're trying to do at the restaurant every day. So, you know, before you get into, can somebody use our point of sale system or, you know, do they have a sommelier's, uh, you know, wine base of knowledge? We don't, you know, we're serving pizzas and beers primarily. So is the person a nice person? Are they eager to please? Yeah, that's no, great. It's a great point. And I think people get so hung up and you see this a lot in sport where there's this specialization and I'm going to do this year round and because I'm going to be successful in it versus, hey, let's develop a, re a well-rounded set of skills that'll apply to, the sport that I'm interested in, the classes that I'm taking, the summer job that I'm going to have or the career I'm going to chase down. Um, and it's great to hear because I think I feel like, you know, we we're in a, a completely different industry. We're doing outdoor adventure and, and you're serving great pizza and beer. Um, 
but at the end of the day, it's, it's about the people that you're in front of and, and the experience that you're giving them um, and how well you're doing it. And I've said countless times, Hey, we could teach anybody how to open and close a carabiner and how to clip it on to this right spot or, you know, to lead a team building activity, but it's, you know, that 51%, you know, can you make the group feel like they're the most important, you know, group of people that are, are in the restaurant or in the, 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 the team building field that you can possibly uh, uh, make them feel. And, and, you know, not everybody has that and it's hard to teach those skills to those that don't. So great point there. I'll tell you what, Ken, you're on fire right now, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So give us a little bit of your background, right? Um, I know you've had some experience, uh, you know, playing competitive sport. Um, Talk us through, you know, maybe, well, we'll start with a very, I think a huge one. And, you know, I remember this, um, but, you know, a member of the little league world series championship team out of Trumbull, Connecticut back in the day. Give, we'll, we'll start there and maybe talk a little bit about some of your high school and college experience and your early professional years as well. Uh, yeah. I, so summer of 1989, my friends and I were part of um, a little league team from Trumbull, Connecticut, little old Trumbull, Connecticut that um, <laughs> eventually played uh won all our games and eventually made it to the little league world series in Williamsport, Pennsylvania which is a small little town in the center of Pennsylvania, sort of, uh, uh, sort of farmland. And, <laughs> but there's this great stadium that seats about 40,000 people. And every August it gets filled up and in, you know, little league teams, groups of 11 and 12 year olds compete for the, for the world championship. We ended up playing a team from uh, Taiwan, yep. uh, you know, which was a you know, city, their main city of 9 million people they were drawing from. We, we, we drew our team from half of our town, which is a population of 35,000. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I remember walking down uh, to the field that day from the, the barracks that we, we lived in there for the, for the week that we were there. And, uh, you know, people were literally, ch- you know, chanting USA, USA, and, the, and they sort of parted the sea of people as we walked down to the field and, and, and we, as we went on to, to play this team, we ended up, I think we beat them five to two and it was, uh, it's a beautifully sunny day in August of 1989. It was, you know, for a group of 12 year olds, it was a tremendous summer and something that we all cherish and we'll never forget. And, and all of those guys are, are dear lifelong friends of mine. And, uh, it was an amazing experience to go through at a young age. And, and you know, as I look back at now, I look back on it now as a, as a, as a 43 year old, um, Certainly the baseball was great and, you know, um, you know, got to go to the White House and we got to go to the World Series and we went to Yankee Stadium to see Don Manningly, who was my, you know, my idol. Uh, I knew I liked you for a reason because we're <laughs> in the same boat there. Out a boy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it also, you know, it also prepared us in some ways. We didn't know it then, but it prepared us in many ways for the business world. I mean, we immediately started to understand how to deal with media yeah. And, to, and to deal with uh, people that, um, you know, firing questions at you and, and wanted a piece of you in some ways at a, you know, at a young age. Um, it, it, um, it, it gave us a sense of maturity, I think, at a young age to, to handle a little bit of the spotlight, you know, in our own little 15 minutes of fame. <laughs> and, uh, and it also, we understood how to manage relationships. We spent literally an entire summer together away from our families traveling. We, we, we basically, as you went to each tournament, um, you would stay there, uh, yeah. you know? So as June turned into July and then July turned into August, we were basically out of our house for 
two and a half months with our friends and a couple of coaches. And, you know, you really, you learned how to deal with each other. And yep. um, that comes up every single day in business, as you know. And uh, we were presented that, I think, um, in, invaluably at a young age. And, um, and uh, you know, that's where communication comes into play and, and teamwork and, and all those things that, uh, that you talk about that, that happen when things are really clicking the right way. So uh, tremendous summer. You know, all of us played other sports and, and uh, did it in high school and so, some of us in college. I played a little bit of baseball at college, at Providence College, go Friars. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we had one of my teammates who's now my, my business partner, Chris Jury, played uh, 13 years in the NHL, also played on three Olympic teams. And um, he's now assistant general manager for the New York Rangers and, and yep. doing well as, a, as an executive. Um, but other guys played in college and a couple of guys played professionally, um, you know, in the minor leagues and um, couldn't, could, but they're, they're all healthy, thank God. And they're all very, very successful guys also, thank God. Cause uh, um, you know, I think that that experience uh, taught them that success is good and that, Success takes a lot of uh, hard work, and, and it's not just uh, you know luck of the draw. Yep, it's not just show up and expect to get the W. It's uh, there's a lot that goes into the result <laughs> or achieving the desired result. You played for Coach Charlie Hickey <laughs> at Providence College. What's yeah. a what's a leadership a, a nugget of leadership wisdom from Coach Hickey that you can look back on and say, yeah, that's still sticking around with me. <laughs> well, you know, to, to be perfectly transparent, I didn't play much at Providence College. I practiced a lot. Oh, you there practiced was, for coaching. Yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was guys much better than, than me that could actually hit a slider. So <laughs> That was my college uh, athletic experience as well. I was a practice guy, you know, so yeah, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> probably the first thing I should tell you. But, um, <laughs> you know, Coach, Coach Hickey is a great guy, and I, I, uh, I, I always enjoyed him. I, I, and I think, I think if I took away one thing from him, um, was uh, to keep it kind of simple. Yeah. Um, you know, again, I mentioned simplicity earlier. I think simplicity is invaluable in the business world, certainly in the sports world. I mean, you either show up for practice on time or you don't. You either lift the weights or you don't. You either, you either strike out the guy or you walk the guy. It's, it's pretty clear cut. And uh, I think Coach Hickey uh, had a very good um, way of just kind of, uh, you know, kind of relaying that to his players in, in uh, in many ways, just a kind of a, a funny way or, or just a very simple way. And I, I, I think that resonated for people. Absolutely. And, and he has a, a good dry sense of humor too. Oh, absolutely. So, <laughs> keep you on your toes. What about, um, you know, so you finish up at Providence College. Um, talk a little bit about your professional journey and some of the stops along the way prior to Colony Grill. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm teaching this class at UNH. And one thing I tell the students as I start my first week in as a teacher, um, but I've said this to a lot of our employees at Colony Grill, is that every experience that you have uh, from the time you're young through your high school days, through your college days, into your early professional life, even if that's not going to be ultimately your career or your, or your final path professionally, um, you tend to be able to have these opportunities or interactions with people, coaches, bosses, um, customers, that you can really just take um, a little bit from and put it into your toolbox. Yep. And it's amazing when you open that toolbox at other points in your life that you didn't realize at the time would, would be so uh, impactful. So 
out of college, I worked for NBC Olympics uh, in Manhattan. You know, I was a young guy, basically just traveled the world, interviewing athletes and preparing for the Olympic broadcast. And, you know, I, they would, you know, I was 22 years old and they, they send you off to Sweden or Czech Republic or, you know, Australia or wherever, um, you know, Salt Lake City, Utah. And uh, you would sit in these people's homes or at these training centers, sometimes with a translator and, and ask them about their lives and, and try to get these little nuggets from them that would be interesting for a broadcast. And you had to be accurate and factual. And, and um, you know, you learn that there's a bigger culture than what you grew up in. There's, yeah. there's, there's a way to greet people in a certain part of the world. There's the way, you know, you drink at a bar is different in one country compared to another. And, uh, you know, certain things, you know, the Japanese have a very reverential uh, culture that really respects their elders. And, and it's the first time you see it, it's, it's very kind of eye-catching. Um, but, you know, you take those little things and then, you know, fast forward 20 years and now I'm an entrepreneurial position with the business and those little things come up. You take them out of your toolbox. You, you learn how to talk to somebody in a certain way. Um, you know, it's just, it's, it's remarkable how much um, your past will affect your, your future. So, I, I mean, I just tell people, it's great to have a lot of different experiences. It's great to travel the world if you can. Uh, obviously, this past year was difficult to do that. <laughs> yeah, that got shut um, down. <laughs> but, um, you know, I had a couple internships in college that, you know, paid nothing and were uh, some of the most invaluable uh, work life experiences I ever had. So, you know, I just think the toolbox is, is uh, can be grown in, in a lot of different ways. And, and uh, it happens from, you know, essentially the time you're 11, 12 years old and, and it keeps happening until you're probably retire, I would assume. But uh, so that, that was my early experience. No, I like it. And again, another, I think a great point for anybody listening is, is, you know, trying not to go through each day with the blinders on um, where, you know, where you're going to miss out on, I think some of those opportunities that you wouldn't expect to get if this is your path or, or what you think your path is. Um, and when you, when you have the head down blinders on, um, you're missing out on opportunities to, to build up the, the toolbox and the skill set that you have that, you know, regardless of what you end up doing when you're a professional, <laughs> you know, it won't qualify that by age. <laughs> uh, you know, you'll look back on and say, oh yeah, I'm taking this from this youth sport experience or from this unpaid internship that I did or this job, you know, at a gas station that I didn't really want to do, but I did it during the summer. And, you know, all those things add up to, you know, the, 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 the total person and the professional. And, and I think I agree with you, invaluable. Um, coming out of college. And I, I think this is something that's always unique. What, so you have this experience in internships and the athletic experience, you graduate in the real world, you know, is there to smack you in the face. What did you feel like you were best prepared for? And what did you feel like was a complete surprise that you had to be like, Oh man, I got to get some stuff together so I can not let this thing, you know, stop me from achieving what it is that I, that I want to achieve. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, coming out of college, I very much thought I was going to be in live sports television or, or, or media for my career. Um, I, I had prepared for that. I was, I was a stringer in high school. They sent me, you know, they sent you to cover the, the game nobody else wanted to cover, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, I had done internships. I was on the school paper. I was doing uh, radio for the, the Providence Friar hockey team. And, um, and 
it, it actually, it worked. I, I got the job in, in, in the industry that I was wanted to be in. Yeah. Um, you know, and then I, I started, uh, I started working in, in Manhattan, which is an amazing place, uh, notwithstanding the last number of months, but, um, and you realize it's a, it's a big world and there's a lot of different opportunities. And, um, I had a, I had a fantastic experience uh, with NBC, but, um, you know, I started to realize this may not be ultimately what I do uh, for the rest of my life. And I, I started to realize that I had, um, I had a restaurant background as a youth from, from my mom's side of the family. And one of my first jobs was as a, as a busboy. And I really did enjoy the interaction with guests, um, making people feel uh, like they were gonna have a great time. Um, my wife and I now, we love to entertain. We have five children, my wife's great at it. But, um, you know, I, I, as, I, as I got a little bit older, um, I just realized that I think I have a knack to make people um, enjoy themselves in my, in my company, yeah. um, meaning like at a restaurant or at my home. And, and I think some of those things, um, you know, eventually bore out and some, with some happy accidents and timing is everything in life. Uh, my partners and I were able to kind of harness our, all of our skills together to create um, a hospitality business. Yep. And it's been amazing. And, and I'm, I'm so happy we got here. I'm not sure exactly how I got here. <laughs> we stepped it away, but, um, but I'm glad we, we are where we're at. Um, and who knows where we'll be, uh, you know, God willing, in another 10 years. <laughs> well, we, we know where you're going to be for the second semester of the, the University of New Haven <laughs> school year. So you, you brought it up. It's a, a new adventure for you this year. Um, what, I guess, what was your inspiration to get involved in the, you know, the educational side of hospitality? And at the University of New Haven, it's the hospitality and tourism major. Um, but yeah, what, what inspired yeah. you to become involved at, at, on that level as, a, as an educator now? <laughs> it's funny. I think you don't realize how much you're teaching every day just in your own business if, you, if you're kind of engaged. Um, so I, I think for the past 11 years, I've been teaching in some ways, you know, at, at various levels. I had the opportunity to meet um, Dr. Jan Jones through uh, a mutual friend, and she asked me to come be like a guest speaker. And I was I was like a guest judge for one of her classes that was doing a project. And it was yep. kind of a fun thing to do once or twice. And then Jan is very engaging, and she she somehow has this way of uh, getting people to come work for her. <laughs> um, and um, and she said, well, you know, I think you, you did a pretty good job coming and visiting. Like, why don't you just teach a class? And I was like, ah, I teach a class. What I, don't, I don't know what to do there. I'm not a teacher. I don't, um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know where to begin. And she just said, oh, it's, you know, you're already doing it. You, you, you did it at our class. You'll be fine. You, you know the business you're in. Come do it. So I probably needed a little bit of a push, but I'm actually very, um, very excited to be doing it. It's a it's a great group of kids. I have about 18 uh, young adults, uh, students who are in hospitality and tourism trying to figure out where, where they want to go. Um, a lot of them are graduating this, this spring. Um, and, you know, I, I'm learning a lot from them. Uh, and hopefully they'll learn something from me in the next uh, eight, 12 weeks, 16 weeks. But um, so I, I didn't anticipate doing it. I'm very happy I'm now doing it. And I, I don't know where it will lead, but um, it just goes back to my point about the toolbox. Um, it's an experience that I think um, 
it's, it's the right experience to do based on all the sort of data I had going into it, even if it was a little bit out of my comfort zone. Good. And, and again, I think something we'll, we'll build into our adventure programs, but you know, out of our comfort zone is where we grow and develop and our, our skill set builds. So I, that, that's great to hear that it's not set, you know, at 43, uh, an entrepreneur and owner of a business, it's not settle it down and just, you know, ride it out, but it's the continued development. That's part of leadership. It's, you know, getting better every day, continue to educate, continue to build your skills. And um, it's, it's awesome to hear. And what are you about a week in to this uh, to coursework? Yeah, I'm, about, I'm about four classes in and, uh, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's been great. Well, it's been great for me. I mean, they'll let the kids speak for themselves. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it's, uh, it's my first rodeo and I'm just trying to stay on the bull. Uh, and I think Jan mentioned she she might want to try to and I, I I asked her if she would be interested in getting a couple students on on this podcast at some point down the road before the year ends. So we'll we'll get the dirt from them. Uh, <laughs> if you had to uh, if you had to evaluate, you know, you're only four classes in, so it, there's not a lot of data. But if you had to give yourself a letter grade right now for how you feel it's going, what is it and why? Yeah, it's a good. It's good. <laughs> Um, I think people typically grade themselves honestly, but I would say uh, based on the criteria that I've given my students in terms of grading, I would say I'm probably uh, a strong B. All right, there you go. Strong B. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely, my heart's in it. I don't know if I'm presenting exactly, uh, you know, perfectly. Um, I'm a little, I'm a little nervous, quite frankly. And um, I think I need to get a little bit better in terms of, uh, just mapping out each class and making sure every student stays engaged. But, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think I'm passing. <laughs> hey, hey B, B's and C's get degrees, man. That's a good four <laughs> classes in doing it for the first time. A, a solid B is, is just that I'll call it very solid. Good, good start. And I'm sure you're going to get better as the semester goes on, just the more you do it and you sound very passionate about it too. So, you know, passion plus repetitions equals improvement. So, <laughs> Um, use that in the class, Dan. Thank there you. There you go. Write it down. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you hope? What do you hope your students are able? Because they're they're at least right now on the path of entering the industry that you've spent eleven years in. What do you hope they're able to take away from you as a? You know, I, I think I. And I guess I'm going to stop my question for a second. I think it's great because I've had professors. Um, I was a physical education major, who were in like the higher ed. Uh, side of it for so long that I felt like they were really disconnected from the reality of what it's like in a classroom. Um, you know, at the time, especially when I went back for my grad work and I had a few, you know, a few years under my belt and some of the professors, you know, hadn't been in a, a, a gym in, you know, 30 years. Um, so I, I think it, there's, there's value to having somebody that's, you know, in the trenches <laughs> currently who, who also is, is there as a, as a, as an instructor, um, what do you hope the students that you have right now are able to take away from their experience with you this second semester at the University of New Haven? Yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting and, and uh, I think profound question in some ways. <laughs> I, uh, I certainly want them to, to understand that whatever industry they ultimately land, um, they have to make people feel good in, in an inter interaction with them. Um, I think I'm not, I haven't, I'm not the person who came up with this, but I, I think business is just how you make people feel Yeah. and you either 
are going to close people off and, and, and be a gatekeeper or are you going to open your arms and be an advocate? And um, I mean, certainly in the restaurant business, that's very important because it's a very public facing industry and you're, I mean, it's hand to hand combat in, in a good way with, with your customer. Yeah. You, you're up close and personal every day. But um, what I've found is as we deal with vendors and, and deal with landlords and, uh, you know, interact with all sorts of industries is that we just gravitate towards the people that want to do right by us and are, are nice. And, um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just, Hey, they're funny or they're nice, but they're really, they're trying to see it through our eyes and, and to react in a way that's beneficial for us as, as the customer. Yeah. We want to do that for our, for our customers and for our employees. So um, before you even get into the specifics of hospitality or tourism, I think it's, it's important to note that um, you have to make people feel a certain way. You also have to hone your craft, whatever field it is. Um, I think sometimes with a little bit of young people, and I feel like I can speak to this because I have five children, <laughs> these days, um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but they want to jump to the next thing very quickly. And you know, there's that old saying about you need to do 10,000 hours on one thing to be an expert. Um, you know, maybe, maybe that's exactly true or not, but it, there's something to that, you know, it, where you really need to understand every aspect of a business and you almost need to be doing your boss's job before you get that promotion. Yeah. And, and typically the money will, will just follow if you're doing all the right things. But um, I just think, you know, to be professional, to, to, to really um, understand what you want to do and, and to, um, to be an expert at it. And then just to be, you know, people, I, I'm not Jewish, but I love the, the expression, like, you know, to be a mensch. Yeah. Um, just, just to be someone you can be relied upon and someone who people know they can go to battle with. And, 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 you know, there, there's, there's aspects of that. You get, there will be specificity in my class in terms of food safety and, and, and how you set up a restaurant and, and how do we uh, write a business plan or how do we, look at a PL statement but you know before you get to that we're going to spend about a month on on the soft skills that you mentioned earlier yeah i just think those those things are what would differentiate business especially today when when some of these soft skills are really falling by the wayside in our culture um so so i'm hoping that's what they kind of take away from it and um i'll let you know how it goes come come today but uh <laughs> Do a follow-up on like May, May 18th. We'll do a yeah, follow-up. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. Well, this is uh ladies and gents, listeners. This is Ken Martin. He's one of the co-owners of Colony Grill um, locations in Connecticut, Virginia, New York. And he's also starting an adventurous journey at the university of New Haven this year as an adjunct professor, crushing it, knocking it out of the park, reminiscent of Mattingly's, uh, Homer at Yankee Stadium in the 95 uh, wild card against Seattle, which didn't end the way I wanted it to end, but that was probably the loudest Yankee Stadium has ever been. So you're crushing it right now. You know, Dan, I was at that game. Come on. I was at that game. I was sitting in the right field uh, bleachers and I, I had been to, as a Yankee fan, I had been to Yankee Stadium. I was probably either a senior in high school or a freshman in college. And, um, having been at a number of Yankee games, I never felt the stadium vibrate the, the way it did. And uh, it was it was amazing. I think a couple beers were thrown, my you know coming down from the rafters, and it was just uh, it was amazing because you know he was my he was Donny Donny Game Day was my favorite uh, player, so I always remember that uh, that game. And wow, what a, what a, what a what a what a scene it was at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, 
no, and that's so it's a good good segue here. And we're we're gonna W the professor for this last bit. And this is an unscripted. I'm I have I don't know, anywhere from three to five quick hit questions we're gonna throw your way. And you already took one of them because I was gonna say uh, an athlete that you looked up to as a young one. So we got Donnie baseball covered, done it over with. Don't have to don't have to go any further in the conversation. Um <laughs> if you weren't if you weren't in the restaurant industry and you could play uh, and you were a professional athlete, what, what team, what position and why? Um, I'd want to play right wing for the New York Rangers. And um, I've been a lifelong Rangers fan. I never played uh, hockey organized. I, I played pond hockey and street hockey, but um, uh, I was around for their 94 Stanley cup victory and around for a lot of losses before that. But uh, I just think there's nothing like uh, there's nothing like the New York Rangers fan base. And, and there's nothing like Madison square garden when it's uh, when it's full. And uh, that would be a unique experience uh, for me play right wing for the New York Rangers. Um, so, yeah, I think that would be, and you know, because I, I don't think I'd ever be able to be a rock and roll star. So that, so the, it <laughs> takes that out of the equation. Right <laughs> what um, are you, are, so you're a Rangers fan, you're a Yankees fan, uh, Giants football. Yeah. I'm all New York. I'm Giants football, New York Knicks. All right. You're good. So we, listen, I, I found a new buddy here. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, which one had a bigger impact on you? So we'll go 94 Stanley cup win for the Rangers. <laughs> Uh, we'll say 86 Super Bowl win for the Giants or 96 World Series win for the Yankees. Yeah, uh, I would say hands down for me, uh, 94 Cup win for the Rangers. They hadn't won since they hadn't won a cup since 1940. Um, you know, Mark Messier led them with you know with my favorite player Adam Graves through a, yeah. an amazing playoff run. That was the that was the playoff series when Mark Messier uh, guaranteed a win. Uh, in New Jersey and he's had a hat trick and the famous step on my toe goal to, <laughs> to the, to the Stanley cup. It was just sort of the, um, in some ways, not to be overly dramatic about it, but it was sort of the end of my youth in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know, from there I kind of went on to college and, and started my professional career, but that was, that was just an amazing time to New York, New York Rangers fan. Obviously the, the Yankees uh, world series was probably a close second. And I, re I remember the 86 Super Bowl, but um yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a diehard Rangers fan, and uh, I, I don't think anything can beat uh, that that summer of '94. And and the Knicks almost pulled it off that that summer as well. They played yeah. the Rockets in the in the finals, but um, that was an amazing summer. Was it was for sure. And then and we're we're not going to talk into it, but that was uh, I think the Knicks and the OJ chase were like uh, on simultaneously. I was yeah. that I think middle school student at the time, and I remember that vividly. Uh, <laughs> what is um. Who is someone that you looked up to? Maybe not like a, a sport icon, uh, but someone that you knew personally, someone that you looked up to as a child and why? Um, <clears throat> as a child, I mean, I, I, I mean, I had some really great coaches. Um, uh, that's a good, that's a really good question. I mean, obviously my, as a, as a young child, my, my parents were an amazing influence. Um, as I got a little bit older, um, I, I played uh, I played basketball at St. Joe's High School in Trumbull, and we had a um, the school had a coach there named Vito Montelli, and um, 
Mr. Montelli up until about 10 years ago was the only basketball coach the school had ever had. Wow. Um, he, he started in the, in the late fifties, early sixties and, and ended up winning almost 900 games in his career. And I was lucky enough to play for him. And, um, you know, I met him as basically a 13 year old kid and spent about four or five years with him. I still talk to him frequently and I, I consider him a, a real mentor and, and, uh, and, uh, just an amazing role model. And, you know, I was lucky enough to have a really like, great parents growing up, but um, he was somebody who really put a lot of perspective on uh, respect for me. And, and uh, you know, he was a, an Italian guy and, and uh, he, you know, he just, uh, he's really into tradition. And, and uh, he, he, I'll tell you one quick story. And I don't mean to bore you here, but- No, he, no, no, this is great. I love this stuff. I was, uh, I was in eighth grade and, uh, I, I was starting to play like a summer league with St. Joe's as I went into my freshman year and, and coach Montelli is this, this real deep gruff voice and he's kind of intimidating and he smokes a cigar all the time. And, uh, you know, he's very successful. So as a freshman, I just, you know, I didn't, he didn't really talk to me and I'm sure he knew who I was, but you know, I did, I didn't think he knew who I was. Um, but my grandfather died right before I was going to St. Joe's and it was the, you know, maybe a month before school started and I'm sitting in the funeral home as a 13 year old and just kind of, you know, sitting in the back and I feel a, a hand on my shoulder and I look up and it's coach Montelli who really didn't know me that well at the point at that time. And, and, uh, I never forgot it because, uh, he taught me, uh, you know, most of life is being there. And, uh, we, we won a lot of games together and lost a few together. But, uh, I think the reason he's still in my life, uh, is, is that, sort of way he looks at, at being there and, and, and respect and, and just uh, the tradition of being a part of a team. And, uh, you know, I, I love him. And I, I, and I he, he was definitely a role model as I got into my teen years. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer. Um, a little less serious note for this one, and then we'll finish up with a, a, a maybe more serious one. Um, and it could have been at when you were at the high school, college level playing sports or if you were again in the professional ranks uh, as uh, you know, maybe a 20 late twenties, early thirties, if you had to put on like a, a song or a musical artist to get like freaking juiced up <laughs> for stepping on the ice at the garden, right. Yeah. All right. In this dream, dream scenario. What, what is it? What's the track you're putting on or what artists are you putting on? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I was always a big Beatles fan, but in terms of getting pumped up, I think, uh, you know, it would probably be like the Who or ACDC. You know, maybe back, maybe uh, Thunderstruck by ACDC, or, or maybe uh, you know the the the, um, the Who's. Uh, it's not Teenage Wasteland, but that's the, that's kind of the words from the song. But uh, Baba, yep, Baba O'Reilly, classic rock. Yeah, there you go. All right, I like it. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, last last question. So you have five five children. What's something you know from a leadership, soft skill uh, type thing. What's something that you and your wife hope that you're able to instill in your children as they get into their journey of students yeah. and maybe athletes and, and get into their professional career? If you had to, had to identify, you know, maybe your top, um, you know, message that you like to instill in your children, what would it be? Yeah, another good question, Dan. Jeez, you're, you're, you're like, uh, Peter's it's like baby. being on 2020 with you. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, five kids, it's amazing how different each child is, but um, uh, I would say one thing I think we want to get across to them, first of all, we want them to be safe and we, we want them to just uh, live, live a healthy life, number one, and that's, uh, you know, just as parents. But um, I think one thing is it's up to you and, and why not you? Yeah. So 
a lot of times these days, people kind of give answers or excuses that it's not in your control. And it's very much up to you. And if you think about people who have had amazing success, um, it just isn't luck. Um, it's not just, hey, they were in the right spot at the right time. That's part of it, certainly. But um, it's very much, uh, are you going to dedicate yourself to, to be and to get to what you, what you want to do or yep. what your goal is? Um, you know, so I would just say, take it in your hands. It's totally up to you. And if it's something you want to be great at or something, you know, you want to be remarkable at, um, why not you? I love it. That is the drop of the mic moment right there. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Episode two of season three of the Lead with Empower podcast. The professor, as his children call him, his real name is Ken Martin, leads with Empower. And uh, again, a Don Mattingly epic right field pull yank job in the upper tank right there. Ken, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Ton of great insight and, uh, you know, sending our best to the, to the Colony Grill family uh, for uh, an absolutely strong recovery in 2021 and nothing but great things for you all moving forward. And hey, to our listeners, I, I love Ken's statement at the end there. It's up to you and why not you, right? Take the, uh, the hard work will open up opportunities and don't sell yourself short because you can achieve it if you put in the effort and you have the mindset to go out there and do so. Be safe. Take on those responsible risks. Do what's right by you and the people around you. Have a great one, and we'll check you out next time on the Lead with Empower podcast. Great leadership may look and sound different. However, there are common threads that connect all tremendous leaders. They are passionate about those that they lead. They do that which brings out their best and the best in those around them. And they never take the easy way out because the exceptional will never come from easy.